Many moons ago, I was nominated by the successful entrepreneur Cheryl Nesbitt, who started Capsicum Cooking School, into a program called Endeavor. Without really knowing what it was, I quickly found out that Endeavor is one of the most respected and successful entrepreneur organizations in the world. I didn't make it very far in the program, but through their famed networking sessions, I engaged with Endeavor board members such as Archer and CEO Willem Roos, First Rand co-founder Paul Harris, founder of Discovery Adrian Gore, and Robert Pillay, the former CEO of Gucci Global. The MD of Endeavor, South Africa, Catherine Townsend, has been at the helm of Endeavor for almost a decade. Endeavor companies are amongst the top 1% performing companies worldwide. And Catherine is privy to a stellar array of startup businesses and entrepreneurs such as Yoko's Katlejo Mapai, Sweep South, Aisha Pandor, and Intersect Skulk Nolte. This is The Healthy Business Show. I'm your host, Fred Road. And in this episode, I want to find out from Catherine some of the secret tips, techniques, and tactics deployed by these amazing startups and their founders. Catherine, welcome to the Healthy Business Show. I uh, am a huge fan of Endeavor and uh, the work that you guys have been doing. And, and I actually was very briefly part of your program, uh, and it was early days of my old business, uh, which... Um, I, I got stuck into some of the activities that you, your organization uh, was overseeing and I promptly dropped out because it was too hard. <laughs> and I think the pressure on me and my lifestyle and my, my actual uh, trajectory at that point was, was just not aligned to, I think, the, the sheer intensity of what Endeavor is all about. So with that context. Let's talk about the origin story of Endeavor. Where did it, where did it start and, and why did it start? Mm, thanks, Fred. It's great to be here and really awesome to hear that you've been touched by Endeavor. I think sure. that's uh, one of Endeavor's ambitions globally is to lead that high impact movement and to touch as many entrepreneurs as possible. Um, if anything, the exposure changes your mindset changes the way you think about what you can achieve and and really I think just highlights the importance of having great people around you that believe in you. Sure. Um, I mean even though I dropped out it still has one of the most impactful uh, parts of my career was was through Endeavor. That's fantastic. And I hope that that story gets uh, multiplied <laughs> in Endeavor speak. Sure. But if I may I'll just quickly jump into the background of Endeavor. Um, Linda Rottenberg um, uh, is one of the co-founders of, of Endeavor, and, and you may have heard of the book Crazy as a Compliment, and yes. she talks about the story. So forgive me if I don't have all the facts and details um, right at my fingertips, but I'll take a little bit of poetic license. Sure. But going back to kind of 97, Linda was in the back of a cab in South America. Uh, I think she was in Chile at the time, and she got chatting to the cab driver, and it turned out that uh, he was a – deeply skilled um, engineer, if I have it correct. <clears throat> and um, she'd said to him, well, why don't you do become an entrepreneur? Why don't you build a great business? You've got a brilliant mind and you have a dream. And they talked about his dream on the trip. Clearly, the traffic was horrendous. So they had a <laughs> lot of time to talk. And uh, she was with Ashoka at the time. Okay. And I think she had that realization, which was there's so many of these brilliant minds with these amazing ambitions Yet, actually, some of the biggest barriers are just knowing the right people, so access to the right type of talent and the right type of talent network, and then access to the right type of funding at the right time, and and really just this this access to this broader network of of people that want to see you succeed, but not on a paid for basis. Sure. And so she le literally left the country, went back to the U.S. Um, and said, "But hey, guys, like we've we've." We've been fortunate enough to have these amazing minds around us, great networks through some of the top business schools. Let's formalize a network called Endeavor where we create access in a curated manner for many of these entrepreneurs, not just an open gate. Let's put rigor in this where we actually push people to think differently, make more informed decisions and expose them to the right people in the right manner at the right time. And in doing that – really change the trajectory of their business. And so that's how Endeavor was born. 
Catherine, just for context, uh, just explain what Ashoka is. So Ashoka essentially does a lot of work at the early stage or foundational elements of um, social entrepreneurship. A lot of the impact, or now as we know them, impact entrepreneurship movements are driven off the foundations that Ashoka lay many, many, many moons ago. I think this is um, early, well, late 80s, early 90s. Gotcha. Linda Rottenberg was at Ashoka and then she left Ashoka to, right. to found Endeavor. Endeavor. And and that's where I think you'll see in, in her book. She constantly talks about, you know, people saying she's absolutely crazy. Crazy to think you can start something that provides curated access to the right networks at the right time for entrepreneurs that's going to create large-scale employment in emerging markets. Um, that is crazy when you think about it now. Sure. But it's a common thread though, right? And in retrospect, we're starting to see precedent across the world in all the hotspots, uh, the entrepreneurial hotspots around the world where a relatively small group of high impact individuals are making in, in a disproportionate impact on uh, society and the economy, right? Absolutely. I think that a lot of these things are driven by, um, softer issues, role modeling. And Endeavor, really, the whole model of Endeavor, what makes it so unique is it's of, by, and for entrepreneurs. Sure. So if you find the very best entrepreneurs in each of your own markets and you help and provide that support, that ethos of, of paying it forward or giving back is inherent in that entrepreneurial community. It's, it's really the foundation upon you want every entrepreneurial community to be built. And, and it's, it's woven into, say, for example, Silicon Valley, right? Correct. And you start to see that paid forward and multi-generational uh, baton passing that's mm. that's occurred over the past 80 years mm. within the San Francisco Valley area, right? Absolutely. And, I, and I, I think in many respects, if you bring it back home, it's part of our culture in South Africa. Yes. It's deeply inherent in South African culture. We give back or we pay it forward. We're always trying to find a way and means to give back in South Africa. Um, yes, of course, there's a varying degree of needs. Um, but from the entrepreneurial community perspective, if you, if you know an entrepreneur, inevitably they would have supported in some way, connected somebody, helped seed an idea. It's, it's what happens when you meet great entrepreneurs. Gotcha. Um, they're not all takers. Certainly. And I mean, I felt that. I felt that just through some of the interactions that I had with your board members and the mentors that are in the Endeavor network, that, I mean, I have some of the, my most salient lessons that I've learned. For example, Willem Roost, you know, the founder of, of Artrans said a very simple thing. He said, you know, in terms of growing a business, it's really simple. Just have a unique offering and then advertise the hell out of it. And I never forgot that. It's such an amazingly simple way of looking at such a complex structure of business. So, I suppose that impact is really profound when you have people who've really succeeded and mm. shown that success, mm. providing those those lessons and that, that kind of mentorship. And Endeavor in South Africa, so, so how long has it been in South Africa for? And can you talk to some of the impact that it's had within the entrepreneurial sector? Sure. I, I mean, Endeavor's been around, this is its 15th year, okay, actually, wow. which is wonderful. By December this year, it'll be 15 years old. And if we if we were to count back how many entrepreneurs we touched, I would definitely quote the wrong number, but it's in in the orders of about eight or nine thousand entrepreneurs that we've engaged with. Okay. And on average, we're working uh, with about we screen about a thousand businesses a year, okay. and of those, I'd say probably five hundred spend about five months in mentorship with Endeavor. Okay. Um, and then in terms of impact metrics, I think what's extraordinary is just uh, just by way of an example, is if if I put the number 26 out there, there are 26 companies in the Endeavor portfolio right now that have created or currently employ about 7,500 people. And because of their growth, in the next year, we anticipate they're going to employ another 1,500 people, just 26 businesses. That's amazing. Um, which is quite extraordinary in an environment which is under so much pressure. Sure. Uh, economically, and I, that's really the premise upon which Endeavor has been built. Mm. So, even though we're, we're actively working with only such a few companies, we've mm. touched a thousand in a year, and we've been able to demonstrate that if you look at the growth rates of entrepreneurs, on average, the SME sector is growing at about between twelve and fourteen percent year on year. 
Sure. Um, Endeavor portfolio companies, so the 26 that I just mentioned, are growing on average at about 35% year okay. on year. Wow. Um, and just with mentorship over a five-month period, we've been able to see that actually companies do grow faster. But they grow probably close to five or six times faster than the SME average, which is already a significant difference. That's incredible. So I think the takeaway from there is or from that message is having good High quality mentorship in a structured format uh, so can make a difference. An, are we going to see an index fund that tracks all the Endeavor companies <laughs> at some point in the near future? <laughs> yes, we can. We can now see the the funding model of Endeavor going forward. Absolutely, yeah, I'm um, signing up right now. Fantastic! That's Maybe amazing. Thirty five percent. So, I mean, if we look at the statistics of the South African uh, context, I mean. It it makes for some sobering reading. I mean, we look at you know just the um, uh, the the youth unemployment mm. uh, sector and and how dismal that is. I mean, you know, statistics vary, but it's sitting at about sixty to between sixty and eighty percent mm. unemployment. It's mm. just nuts in terms of the guys just leaving school, coming into this environment, which is just not hiring. We've got a stagnant economy, mm. and we're looking at. This tiny little blip in the radar that is sitting at 35% growth year on year, and there's only 26 companies, right? So I guess maybe the $6 million question is how then would we expand that to 260 to 2,600? How do we, mm. how do we expand that success? And I mean, it's clearly not possible to have that high intensity, uh, Impact on such a huge amount of companies, but is there a way of scaling it? Is there Definitely. a way of scaling Endeavor? Definitely, I think you know Endeavor operates within its own finite resources sure. as a not-for-profit. So I think those are the two constants. If I think in what we've learned as a not-for-profit in South Africa is it's very very difficult to operate um, in in the SME landscape. The the funding mechanisms you've got a lot of pressure on donors, um, and just then. You know, just within those constraints, it's hard to scale the reach. But certainly, I think what we are seeing and what we have seen over the last 15 years in the South African economy is there's a huge amount of uh, support organizations that have been launched. Um, there's an organization by the name of Andy, the Aspen Network for Development Entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, they produce a landscape study every year and where they look at the ecosystem. What's fantastic when you look at that map and if you look at the contrast over the, the last 15 years, you would notice a stark difference all in the area of business development support. So I think what we are seeing is and, – and largely I think as a, as a result of let's call them structural changes, so the BE codes and the need to support black-owned business in South Africa has, has di redirected spend into a lot of support organizations that are creating everything from early-stage incubators through to then accelerators and then growth and support entities. And I think that talks to the life stages of businesses. but. Just a quick stat, I think there's 350-odd support providers in South Africa now all focused on SME development. Wow. Would I be correct in saying that it needs to have a little bit more cohesion, right? Absolutely. Everybody's trying to do the same thing and, and not really working together. Yeah, I Is think there, there's always scope to do more collaboration. Um, and I think it, it, if what's there was it like a way… In, well, let's put it this way. What's it like in other regions where Endeavor is prevalent? Is, it, is there more cohesion? Take Israel, for example, mm. or mm. you know, South America. I think certainly where you've got uh, the natural progression where you, you're seeing early stage companies naturally being passed on from one support organization onto the other as the business's needs change. So almost if you could imagine uh, the development of, of a human as they go through the schooling system, sure. you know, they get passed on from one uh, academia support entity onto the next. The same in, in more mature ecosystems. I think where there's some complexity in the South African environment is largely driven by who funds the accelerator or the incubator because they often set up to support a particular need versus supporting across the, the spectrum. Sure. And so I think that would be a – if we could re-engineer it, that would certainly be an element that I'd love to score us all on is to say, you know, how much has Endeavor worked with X, Y, and Z? Um, uh, organizations to support entrepreneurs and if we could crudely tag an entrepreneur that would be wonderful so we could actually see its trajectory and i think of a great example like sweep south yes who have um, been on an amazing growth journey themselves but started with the seed engine seed engine team and and went through those early seed days um, and then 
through onto 10X and related programs and then Endeavor. That's sure. a wonderful… And they've been through Silicon Valley Correct. and the 500 startups and, and they've really been through this journey. And yeah. Ash is just an incredibly inspiring, high-impact entrepreneur mm. herself, right? And a role model, right? I mean, so Endeavor, <laughs> it appears to be creating role models. And how important are role models to the, the, the SME sector and this entrepreneurial ecosystem that we're trying to foster in this country? Um, Fred, I think if there was a way for me to put an exclamation mark at the end of a sentence, I'd <laughs> Clearly very put, important. I'd put 10. Um, extremely important. Uh, we did some work uh, with WITS uh, last year where we published a report to, to highlight the importance of, of role models and talent. Um, the study was actually to find and, and assess the ecosystem, mm. particularly in Gauteng, in the software engineering environment. What was glaringly obvious in that study was – you would see in Endeavor Speak big bubbles. So these are entrepreneurs that mentor, invest, and support other entrepreneurs in the ecosystem. So it's not necessarily a, a function of how big they are, but how much influence they have in the community. And what has happened over the last two decades is many of these very successful founders have actually exited and left South Africa. And as a consequence, you don't have that natural mentorship of A players mentoring and supporting other entrepreneurs. That multi-generational thing that you see happening in Israel and Silicon Valley and even now new hotspots like Estonia, right? Yes. So I think when you go back to that element of role models, it's absolutely vital. Um, like all like all areas, I suppose, in the sporting environment, role models that have that have performed at the highest level, you want them to to mentor and support others because they've done it. Sure. And I, th I think in South Africa we don't do enough um, in terms of providing access to those top top role models. And, and so it's more more mentorship rather a lot than more mentorship. than than role models. So it's really about spending time, being present, and providing you know the fruit of all your years of experience to to assist uh, and not just not not in an investment perspective, but really just advice and course correcting those amazing you know little. Tidbits of lessons mm. that they've already been through, right? And I think a platform like this is a great example because when you're talking about creating healthier businesses, it's really having access to that that thought leadership, that sure. knowledge. And so that's where the digital environment is so wonderful is that you can tap into that podcast and, you can scale it, and yeah. say, how, how did Fred build his business or how did Willem build his business? And you can read that article. Sure, it's not going to be a cut and paste for your own business. Um, but I think it's having access to that, that one moment where you're going to have that aha. Um, and I think Carlo Gonzaga actually said it to me once when I said to him, how would you crystallize what Endeavor's done for you in building your business? And he said to me, Endeavor, really, the quicker they get me to that aha moment, the quicker I'm able to execute on it. I just need to get many aha moments. So I thought mm. to myself, wow, well, that, I'm not quite sure I can solve that one, but it, it sounds like um, that's really what we do is through creating access to those role models or those mentors, you're really disseminating knowledge to help other entrepreneurs achieve that aha moment. Sure. Carla Gonzaga is the taste holdings, taste holdings. CEO, right? Mm, or former. That's right. So uh, do you think that we are – Living or we operate in South Africa in the, for, for the SME context in a, in a kind of a closed environment so that we're not really, we're not creating this cohesion whereby, you know, we're cross pollinating skills and providing, you know, from a peer to peer perspective, the support that we need is, do you think we're competitive? I'm trying to, I'm trying to identify the challenge that we're, we're facing in the ecosystem that we, we have. I, I don't think it can just be distilled into one point. I think the thing is that we want to see a result very quickly. So, I mean, just going back quickly in, you know, in our conversation, we've talked about over the last 15 years seeing 350 support organizations for SMEs. That's amazing. Now, we also need to recognize that businesses don't get born and become adult overnight. Mm. <laughs> and, and that patience is, is not something that I think we're blessed with in South Africa. We're very well, no, impatient. No entrepreneur ever <laughs> <laughs> has been blessed with patience, I suppose. And venture cycles are 10 years for a reason. 
Yeah. Um, and I, no investor ever, <laughs> I so, suppose. So I suppose that's, that's something to always be cognizant of is, is if we're thinking about our ecosystem and the development of it, we also need to recognize that we want to see a lot of businesses moving from firstly that one to three year where we see a lot of failure rates. Sure. And, and the same in any economy. It's not unique to South Africa. Sure. Then that three to six. That three to six year is a very, very tough period of, in a business's life, just trying to actually augment the business model, get enough income in the door to pay salaries, let alone the founder's salary, um, and continually innovating, putting systems and processes in place so that they can actually do it on a consistent basis. And then that, you know, kind of six to 10 year period where now they're seeking, you know, sustainable funding, uh, growing the team, penetrating other markets, et cetera. So I think if we can see, more of that development in that segment of the economy, then we've done justice to our ecosystem. Looking at what Endeavor provides, I mean, it's, it's ostensibly it's it's uh, support, it's the role models, it's the network, it's the um, I guess opening up of markets and uh, and and connections within uh, international markets. There's there's a huge amount of value that you guys provide to the entrepreneurs that successfully come through the program. If we and and I mean the you know the success rate that you you have within endeavors in the top one percent of of the sector. I mean, where do we start? Let's I mean, let's start with finance, for example. Where would you start in terms of just getting that of finance to to fund the growth of um, of a company? Like all good ideas, you, they're probably not unique in the sense that uh, they've probably been thought of by a thousand other people. It comes down to execution. So the first part would be get onto onto the web and, and look up FinFind as an example. FinFind.co.za, and I'm not punting them. It's just they're a great resource for anybody looking for funding. Mm. And, and I think the immediate response to lit- listeners might be, well, you know, this is for every other entrepreneur that's got a business already. No, this is for anybody who's got a business that's less than a million rand in revenue. Okay. And and it's it's quite simply put out. You're either less than a million or more than a million. And it goes through a, a set of Q&A with you online to then determine where you could get funding from gotcha. based on your business needs, where you're on your life cycle, whether you've got collateral or not, et cetera, et cetera. Great. So it's just a perfect guide to, to point you in the right direction. Exactly. So I think – just from a funding standpoint, that's a great place to start. And then recognize where you are in your life cycle. I think the natural tendency is that um, businesses med- are immediately leaping forward to say, I want to be like company X. Well, the reality is how old is company X? How many businesses has company X or, or the founders done in their prior lives as entrepreneurs? Because typically entrepreneurs that have very successful businesses, it may not be their first gig Sure. They may have done three or four other gigs before that. So some of which have failed and correct. some of them have succeeded, right? But that experience is vital either way. So the life stage of your business is critical. And, and then the next thing is find an incubator. So if you early stage, if you have an idea, there are a myriad of incubators. So where would you find those? Sure. I would suggest getting onto the Andy website. So that's www.ande.co.za. They've done all the ecosystem mapping. You can look for an incubator. You can find a corporate incubator. Get into one of those programs. That's great, yeah. Because that allows you to get access to the right type of mentor at the right stage. And I'm talking about ideation. Sure, there's things like Y Combinators, et cetera, abroad. Sure. But right here on a home soil, we've got access to those. If you're later, later stage, so you're now three or five years along, I would suggest thinking uh, about an accelerator. Find an accelerator. Again, there's many of those in the market. Get into those programs. And if you don't get into the program, ask them for a warm referral. A warm referral does wonders because it gets you into the right people. Sure. Um, and do your homework. Do your homework. Um, go there informed and know or at least have some idea of what you think you may need. Mm. It might not be the right answer, but that's okay. At least you understand what your needs are and, and have done your homework. Sure, you're prepared. And you're sure. prepared. Yeah, that would yeah. be my suggestion. It's very clear that mentorship is a is a really – important part of what Endeavor provides. And for the rest of us who don't have access to Adrian Gore and Willem Ruiz and Paul Harris and so on, how would you, what would, what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur who's trying to find that mentorship? Mm. Where would you find this, 
this fabled person, this sage? Yeah, I think all things um, – it's always about finding someone who's been on that path that might be six months or two years ahead of you rather than somebody who's already 15 to 20 or 50 years ahead of you because the market is moving so quickly. I mean I'm talking specifically in the digital environment. Most businesses these days can be literally started from your laptop in a coffee shop. You know, you can you can download the Spotify application and 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 start your business, you know, in an e-commerce format. So so my sense is, if you want to find a mentor, it's first understanding who is extremely good at doing what you want to replicate, and and then find out which organization they're associated with, because you'd be surprised how many entrepreneurs in this market are giving back. I think of YPOs, the EOs, um, an organization by the name of T, who's doing a lot of work in the informal economy. Um, There's a myriad of support providers. It's just a case of actually doing your homework, and you can find access to that mentor. I don't think that any one human has the silver bullet. I do think that… Firstly, understanding what market you're trying to penetrate, who your customers, and then finding an entrepreneur who's done that before. Sure. And I mean, I, I suppose networking is a big part of that as Huge, well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, even we've seen at Heavy Chef at the events and the masterclasses that we ran that, I mean, business partnerships have started through the connections that have been made and the interactions that have happened at just organic uh, meetings mm. that have happened and people have just found a, a shared purpose and common goals and and. I suppose diverse set of skills, so they they complement each other, right? Um, quick question on that, by the way. How often do you see the partnerships, and and how important are partnerships mm. within the success of of these uh, fast growing companies? Partnerships, uh, corporate wise, or well, uh, public private, or in the in the businesses that Endeavor really looks at. So, I mean, in terms of collaboration across the businesses, um, it's quite an interesting. Um, I suppose, phenomenon. We have in the Endeavor Network, we talk about Endeavor deals where a lot of the entrepreneurs reciprocate. They share their platforms with one another um, and on preferential rates, which is obviously a good way to grow your user base. Um, I think specifically on corporate partnerships and and procurement – it's a competitive and regulated environment. So the natural tendency is the businesses must go through their, through the natural pecking order to mm. compete, if I'm understanding the, the question correctly, Fred. But, um. Well, I guess, I suppose my question is really around this, this, uh, vision that you have of this entrepreneur as this soul warrior. Mm. <laughs> he's kind of like riding into the distance with a, on a horse and, and he's trailblazing and so on. But the reality is not quite like that. You know, mm. you look at all some of the greatest companies in the world. Including discovery and, and internationally, you know, Google and, and so on, that there's strong partnerships that are symbiotic, that have leaders that have different skills. And I just, I was curious to know. Okay. So in the context of almost like co-founder type. The founders. Okay. Sorry. I misunderstood. Yes. Absolutely. So, so I mean, there's a lot of statistics out there that say that if you've, if you've got a, um, you talk about diversity, if you've got, a female co-founder, your mm. odds of success are, are way greater and your odds of financial return for your investors are way greater than if you had a same-sex uh, a co-founder. But certainly, um, I think… Why is that? Just out of interest. Well, it's, again, complementary skills. Um, yeah. You know, men are, men are from Venus and yeah. women are from Mars, <laughs> if I got my planets correct. but. Yeah, sure. um I think it's just that perspective and and that diversity and stylistic difference. Whether we like it or not, there are gender differences, and 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 a, as a consequence, when that plays out in a business, you you do get something rather unique. Um, and then in terms of whether you know single founder versus multiple founders, certainly I think there there's pros and cons, but your probability of success and I think just the journey as a single founder is really lonely. It's super tough when you try to build a business and Absolutely. inspire your team and and lead and sell and do all the good things great and entrepreneurs wear all the different do. Different hats for sure. Wear multiple hats, and I think it's extremely tough because you can't necessarily share your own angst with somebody. Uh, the whole truth, right? That's, I, I talk about that with my uh, business partners. The whole truth. Mm. When you, you know, when you you communicate externally, it's very difficult to be completely vulnerable and be, be completely truthful. Mm-hmm about every aspect of your business because people don't want to hear that. But you have to communicate that, right? So I suppose that's great when you have a co-founder because they're privy to all those those gremlins and, and uh, you know, the gory details of running a business, which every business goes through, right? And it's, and it's tough to find 
that the chemistry works well. Sure. Um, I think as we touched on earlier, just around the life stage of business, it's very rare to find a founder or founders that can move through the business's life cycles throughout sure. the life of the business. From inception all the way to having a 10,000-person business. Absolutely. It's tough. Those are completely different realities, right? And those are rare humans. Um, For sure. You know, there's a lot. There's a book uh, called, uh, I think it's called The Founder's Mentality. I think Chris Zook wrote it. I hope I quoted that correctly. But he talks about exactly that and how not all founders um, – can grow with a business and and that's also okay it's a it's a function of finding the right niche within your business and also knowing that it's okay to have, to have someone succeed you mm, for sure it was chris Sook, by the way just had a quick cursory look at oh, google good. thank you i want to quickly <laughs> talk about um catherine the opportunities and and i mean when you look at y your the endeavor as you mentioned earlier has touched upon eight thousand or so Entrepreneurs, uh, very few of them have actually got through to being that 1%. Mm. But, I mean, what do you look for in terms of choosing and selecting the uh, the people that really are built for success? Mm. Yeah, I'm saying people, but, I mean, I suppose companies and businesses mm. and structures, right? What are the various aspects that you look for? So I think, again, it comes down to uh, the timing. So from an endeavor standpoint, we're certainly looking for the where the business is at in terms of its life cycle. We look for what we call the inflection point, which is typically when a business is either entering a new market, raising a, another venture round, so they would have already been self-funded to this point, or transitioning from like a traditional uh, consultancy type model into a SaaS or an enterprise type model in the tech world. That's, that's we term a, an inflection point. And the reason we look for that is because at that point, the business has a massive shift in its growth. And it's typically a, a six or seven year old business. Mm. Um, it's proven product market fit. So that's one, one key element. And then combined with, you know, the founding the founding pairs. Uh, sometimes there's multiple founders and sure. across multiple geographies. Like Yoko, right? Katlejo and exactly. his crew were with or are with with Endeavor, right? So. Correct. Yes, and and even if I think of somebody like Go One, where you've got multiple founders across the U.S., Australia, and mm. South Africa, mm. uh, Malvin Kubeka. Um, so the the that combination of of leaders in the team is really important because you want to know that they can actually amongst themselves really step up and scale themselves. And that often comes across in the mentorship engagement. We, we're looking for that, is that agility of that leadership team to really stretch and grow and really have those big, big ideas and want to execute on it. Um, and then the last element, which is a key element, of course, is, is the business. Is there a big market? Because ultimately you can have all the other ingredients and the market isn't sizable enough. Okay. And ultimately, you want to be able to be sure that if you're going to stretch this business, that you can execute on a big market. Sure. And I think in the U.S., that's always a great example and why you can see these huge chunks of money being thrown at businesses because they're looking at the U.S. And, yes, one state in itself is a huge market. Sure. But all the states is a phenomenal market. Gotcha. And, I mean, if we look at the, the portfolio of companies that you have, is mm. there a sector that's weighted? And more specifically – do you see any gaps in uh, that you know our listeners could potentially look <laughs> at and and start to investigate? This sounds like something I should monetize. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so I mean, I I think there's there's always friction. So I mean, you think about education, you think about an example like Spark Schools. Yes. So there's a business that certainly has all the makings for something that could go international very quickly, but the need in South Africa really drives massive expansion just in the South African context. Sure. Um, and there's, they're taking advantage in the, in the case of a spark of the fact that there's so much friction in the current system that if you can provide a blended learning model in an accessible way um, without all the other constraints of transport, location, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can really touch a lot of kids in a cost-effective manner. Just and, for context, what is the oh, Spark, Spark model? Schools. Oh, so Spark Schools, essentially what they've done is they've taken a tech platform, education platform, yes. and they offer blended learning. And so you can have a classroom-type learning environment where you're learning in a group and you can learn online, but you don't have to be connected uh, in terms of fiber. You okay. can actually – you can be offline, but – 
in a uh, digital environment. Okay, gotcha. So both a traditional learning model and a tech learning model blended. It can in, be deployed at scale across many different regions and areas correct. that could still be transplanted through Africa and correct. beyond. Correct. Okay, so getting to the gaps. The gaps. <laughs> Catherine, so let's I think get straight let's, to let's it. go back to it. I think, you know, there's huge needs in this market. So education is one of them. And there's huge amounts of disruption happening in the education environment sure. to offer high quality learning at a low cost um, offering. Um, and, and then again, financial services. Uh, it's it's an obvious one, but the reality is that there's an enormous amount of South Africa's population that have not been banked or do not have access to the basic financial services. And so if we can find ways to alleviate those frictions, of course it's difficult because it's highly regulated. And then the, the third and I would say obvious one is anything that's in a highly regulated market that is consumer-facing. They're incredibly difficult models to crack. But because of the regulation means that you have to operate within certain boundaries, um, which means if you can crack it, you've naturally got a natural moat. You've got a natural um, mechanism to differentiate yourself. So I don't think I've got a perfect answer for you, Fred, but no, I think those are the kind of natural categories. It's helpful. I think what's, what we're starting to see is, is the, there's just a, a beautiful – uh, opportunity for disruption here that's unique to us, right? Like, uh, I mean, our the maturity of, for example, our mobile sector and the the proliferation of mobile phones and now the accessibility of uh, of smartphones that is becoming more and more accessible is really also, I would imagine, providing an amazing opportunity in various sectors mm. across you know all different. Demographics and so on, and internationally, you're seeing things like, you know, in the insure, insurance space, like lemonade and mm. and so on, mm. starting to really eat up market share. Mm. You, I, I would imagine through various different sectors, these young mobile uh, opportunities, or, or uh, I suppose companies that that can act upon those opportunities to disrupt. The status quo and the the established businesses. Yeah, and I I suppose there's a natural tendency. Just if you think about our own evolution, we're talking about the millennials and Generation Z. Ultimately, the consumer is changing, and the consumer is empowered, mm. and they have a mobile phone in their hands. I mean, these are this is I'm telling it telling the listeners what they already know. But the sure. reality is now we've got to start thinking about how do you differentiate yourself when you're in someone's hands. And they're bombarded with a whole lot of opportunity. What's going to make their user experience incredibly unique? And how are you going to get them to consume your product or service? Ultimately, that is going to be the way in which you reach your customer going forward. We have to figure out, as South Africans, how are we going to do that well? If we can do it well, we can probably transplant that into other markets that are emerging. Uh, and particularly given that our, our infrastructure is not fantastic. Uh, and that provides such an in interesting segue. I mean, we, we are confronted with so many threats in this environment whereby there's instability of you know, electricity and, and access to uh, Wi-Fi. And, and the, you know, I suppose we have a set of challenges that are unique to us. What – I mean, how how important is that a factor, where, you know, in terms of growing your business, in terms of, I suppose, mitigating against those sort of threats? Yeah, I think it's absolutely important. Um, I mean, reality is, is if you haven't thought through and done your homework on how often the lights are off, or at least put that into your into your, into your financial model in some way. Um, that is really going to the business interruption impact stuff. Absolutely. I mean, For it, sure. I think of an example that I'm um, quite close to our own business precinct, where the assumption is you've got X, X feet within the business precinct and that the generator is running 24-7. Therefore, you can serve that customer their cups of tea or coffee. Well, the, the assumption there is that that, that, that footfall is coming into the business park. And the reality is in today's economy, not everyone is coming into the business park. They're working remotely. Yes. And so doing, you know, doing your homework and actually really checking that you are getting that footfall, checking the register, you know, just doing those kind of basics, I think, can certainly mitigate the simplest risks. But I think in the more sophisticated online environments, um, it becomes critically important because you've got, you're making the assumption that your end user has got backup, has got power has got generator has got water etc the basic services in place and if they don't they're less likely to be able to use your product so 
yeah, I think it's it's critical, and having the right insurance there is is um, I think something you need to give a lot of thought to. And the different partnerships that you have, from insurance to, I guess, you know, tax and uh, and the financial input that you have, your investors and and so on and so forth, to have all of those in place, that structure around you, mm. right? Yeah, and I think that's uh, so. Going back to where your business life stage is at where you're at um, in terms of your own company's development. Certainly at the early stage, that's where those incubators and accelerators are very useful because they're providing all that foundational thinking and certainly network to you, to service providers that could be useful. So, for example, you get a lot of online accounting systems that mean you don't have to pay exorbitant amounts to have an accountant on call. They kind of do everything, you know, like zero and exactly and these cloud-based. I'm uh, sure they'll pay you for that. Yes, which yeah, well, for sure. But they, I mean, it's amazing, right? Yeah, it just, absolutely. It it um it just makes it so much easier. It's plug and play, mm. and there's all these ancillary benefits to having them because they're all integrated with each other. Exactly. You have. You know, the, all the cloud systems speaking to one another, you know, Squarespace with MailChimp and Google Suite and, you know, um, Zero with mm. Receipt Bank mm. and so on, so on, mm. so on. There's pay. all these different, mm. you know, various and simple pay exactly that, that just they integrate so naturally with each other, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's where we're starting to see with certainly within the financial services environment, as much as we love to give them a hard time, a lot of, um, the new business banking offerings are catering for those needs where they're offering a lot of those value added services. You're not only getting your business account, but you're actually also getting your accountant and your leave, um, and your, and your pay slips, et cetera, et cetera, all bundled into your banking offering. So I think, you know, doing your homework around where you can get a lot of those services and for free, mm. um, I think really is smart. Because you can set yourself up well so that as you scale, you've got all of your bookkeeping in place. It's critically important because ultimately you're building the, the business that one day you're hoping either to exit or, you know, realize some value out of. If you haven't had your accounting correct from day one, you can't expect that on day 10 someone's going to pay for something that you say may or may not have hit your bank account. Sure. Um, I mean, these are simplistic terms. I think the more sophisticated business environment, certainly having you know, the right tax and, and advice around intermonetary, intercountry uh, banking transfers, your exchange controls, etc. That is where your bookkeeping is critically important. Um, you, you know, you, you just can't be caught short if you haven't done your, your pricing correctly. And I, I want to talk about, I mean, exiting a business, right? So, you, you, if, I guess that's the entrepreneur's dream is to be able to work, work, work. And, you know, you go through a particular, uh, the, all the various life stages and you get through this period of time. And at the end of it, you can exit for X hundred million rand and, you know, you've, you're golden for the, for the rest of your life. What advice would you give to the one, the one person operator? You know, the, the one who's designing websites, doing, you know, she's doing social media in, in her lounge or creating fabrics for, uh, for the industrial design company or whatever it may be, you know, what, um, what kind of, uh, advice would you give to those, those single person operators? I, I think ultimately is trying to understand, are you doing it because it's a means, you know, to survival? Like a lifestyle business. Or are you doing it to build something that you would like to sell one day? Okay. Because fundamentally, those are two different things. Um, if you're building something to sell it or you want to pass it on in some way, whether it's monetary or leave it for the next generation, um, your foundational elements of your business need to be sound. Um, so what I mean by that is you need to have a registered entity. It needs to have a bank account. It needs to have records. It, need, it doesn't necessarily have to have an audit, but it should at least have a financial review. Um, those business fundamentals are really important because it demonstrates you've actually got an entity that is saleable. If you are artisanal and essentially whatever you whatever you earn, you spend. Sure. Um, the reality is is that that's very difficult to pass on. Other than your knowledge of how you trade or how you, you know, thinking about buying and selling your goods. Um, and so ultimately, if you're wanting to move from that artisanal environment into a saleable business, my sense is have conversations or get into your local community uh, accelerator and, and go and speak to those um, mentors or, or the people that are running the programs. 
because they can start helping you think about how you put that business construct in place. And that's something you've got to think about right from the beginning, right? I mean, if you name the company after yourself, for example, it's probably going to be a lot mm. more tricky to sell it in 10 years' time because sure. it's so heavily invested in your own personality and characteristics, mm. right? Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about different types of business profiles, I think, you know, the reality is is every organization has their ways of categorizing. In Endeavor language, we talk about, you know, four different quadrants of business profiles. So you talk about somebody who's named the business after themselves. In Endeavor speak, we talk about the local star. So this is somebody who naturally has a super charismatic leader, very fanatical, uh, has a huge following, embodies the brand. And the reality is for them to pass that on is really difficult, as you point out, mm. because their name is inextricably linked to the business. Sure. Um, and often the guidance there is think about how you're going to succeed uh, uh, in terms of who's going to succeed you in the business. Who you're gonna, what kind of management team do you need in place to you know, instill that culture and passion? Um, is there going to be a different brand? Sure. <laughs> when is that going to happen? And is this just going to be a local business? Because it's quite difficult to internationalize a brand. Sure. It's super competitive. And sometimes it's okay, right? Again, it's, it's, it's a decision that you make and it depends on what you, what you aspire to down there. Yeah, I think of an example of, of USN, you know, they're part of the Endeavor Network. Sure. And, um, it's an amazing. Amazingly successful business. Very successful in the, and, and, and certainly a brand that we may have seen. We may not necessarily use the product, but you're aware of the brand. Sure. And what's super interesting there is when you think about Albi as the founder, he, he didn't name the business after himself. He just saw that there was a really interesting play on the name where if you, with the right colors and the right branding could be interpreted as American. But actually talk to sports nutrition and being the ultimate sports product. Yes. And it was such an interesting, I mean, he shared a lot of his story with us, but such an interesting way of building a business and, and really, I mean, he lives and he's a brand ambassador for his own product, but certainly the business, um, has succeeded in, in moving into international markets. He's operating now. I mean, if you look at, most of Amazon's uh, sports product sales in the UK, USN's like number one by country mile. That's amazing. It's incredible. Um, and so I think going back to uh, where we started this conversation, which is trying to find mentors that have done that. Um, it's, it's looking, if you were starting out with a brand or a product, is finding brands or products that you think you would like your brand or product to emulate. And let's find those individuals to try and mentor you or at least spend time with you to think around how you build your business. Sure. I guess there would be the difference between like a, an LB or, or potentially like a Richard Branson, mm. you know, who's created Virgin, but it's so, the, the cultures and the values mirror as opposed mm. to are inextricably linked to, to, Richard Branson, mm. right? Uh, or, you know, take someone like Trevor Noah, who's creating a business out of his own personal brand. That's going to be really tough to sell. Mm. But I, I suppose it's the intention right from the start. Yeah, I think there's a great story um, of Vuyos. And, yes, uh, yeah. you know, Miles the talks about he, he did some guerrilla marketing of his own when he recognized one of the big beverage players had, had launched Vuyos and Vuyos Dream. And he then recognized the opportunity to launch a business called Vuyos. And he always used to chuckle because how many people introduced themselves to him and said, hey, Vuyo, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> but a great example of somebody who's been able to separate their own name from a, from a brand. Um, and I think that is – like all things, we've got blind spots. Um, I think the tendency when you start naming yourself, your business after yourself is exactly that. How does, how does somebody take that business on and operate it under your name? You mentioned there were four different segments. Mm. So we've spoken about the first quadrant. Can we talk to the other three? Yeah, sure. So, um, again, using some of the Endeavor language, um, we talk about the transformer. The transformer is, is something that as South Africans we're very familiar with. They're the more traditional type of businesses. So these are your big services businesses or manufacturing type businesses. Um, and why I say more traditional is they haven't yet been fully disrupted by technology. Um, and those businesses typically – um, rely very heavily on a strong management team. So if you want to see that business scale and grow, firstly, you need to be in a, a great market. You need a sizable market to execute on. Typically, because you've been operating for some time, you've got that first mover advantage. The key is, have you got the management team that's now going to take this business forward? And execute on the growth because the reality is what you did yesterday is not going to be what you need to do tomorrow mm. to keep your uh, dominant position in the market. Um, and so 
so in these traditional type businesses, and, and you would see these in, in your typical franchises, they have to spend an enormous amount of capital scaling and a huge amount of capital branding and, and marketing. And most of your um, competitors are going to have a digital advantage. Gotcha. So it's very costly to change. But quite critical to start making some of those business changes to be able to adapt for what's needed in the future. Then the third quadrant would be what we would call a rocket ship. So these are your traditional internet type businesses and we see a lot of them. Your e-commerce platform would be considered to be a more traditional type business these days in terms of a rocket ship. Do you have an example of, of a rocket ship in today's terms? I mean, and yeah, a company, I think a real... so. So you would think of somebody like a, a Y group, for example. Gotcha. Um, Just so massively fast growing. <clears throat> very fast very growing, disruptive. Very... Um, and, you know, when they were first launched, quite unique um in the in the you know kind of payments and rewarding environment um that's less unique today so being you know essentially keeping up keeping innovating making sure you're streamlined and cost effective quite tough um and so again the skills that you need in the team and the depth in the management team is, is super important there um and your route to market because ultimately you you it's an enterprise type sale in the rocket ship um persona so figuring out who's your next target how you're going to sell to them and can the team really execute on that exponential growth fourth quadrant um so this is what we call as a diamond so a diamond they're very rare <laughs> these are the guys that, that endeavor seeks out <laughs> they're very very rare i think the reality is yet we, we haven't we haven't found a diamond in south africa that has done something so unique that it's changed world behavior sure so if you think about where a facebook or an uber were you know in their infancy or airbnb they fundamentally changed the behavior of users we have a few south africans that have that have, are changing human behavior globally um but they haven't stayed in south africa so i think that's we're claiming elon <laughs> exactly so <laughs> we'd, we'd we'd like more elons but to stay in south africa sure. and build diamonds gotcha last uh last word in terms of advice for the burgeoning diamonds in the listenership listening to this podcast yeah i think all of these things it's it's a case of really understanding where you fit in your own life stage your own business persona and and then trying as best as you can to seek out the information that's going to confirm your blind spots uh our natural tendency is to look for the affirmations to say we're going doing a good job but being aware of those blind spots is super important because it does future proof your business um and you've got absolutely everything to lose um by not being aware of them and everything to gain by being aware of them because once you're aware of them you can act on them so i think you know being aware, seeking that advice, and certainly seeking the accelerator or the growth support organization out there to help you um, navigate some of the challenges your business may have. That's great advice. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you for your time and congratulations on all the success that Endeavor has achieved over the past uh, while in South Africa. And hopefully we can transplant some of that success to the greater e ecosystem, uh, the, the greater entrepreneurial ecosystem. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media. Tag at discovery underscore SA. Use the hashtag DSY Healthy Business. And please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Whether it's Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows, you can also find more episodes on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts.